I'd like to thank Patrick for coming on the show. He has built the Educated Climber brand, which all of us have enjoyed at some point or another. I think a lot of you guys listening have enjoyed at some point or another. And it was great to meet him. He's a really cool guy. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Patrick, for coming on. One of the things we talked about was value for value monetization for podcasts. It's kind of putting a name for the way we've been doing it. You know, we haven't put any ads out. We haven't solicited any ads or anything like that because we want to make sure that one, there's nobody that can censor us. No, you know, there's not even a hint of it. You know, we want to build a community and it, it feels like we're not building a community just to profit off the community, you know? So the way it works, he talks about it in the episode you know, you donate your time, your talent, or your treasure. If you can uh, send a couple bucks that our way, that's awesome. There's a link to donate a beer, and you can send us cash that way. Or if you just, you know, talent or time, you know, if, if you can think of a way of helping out the podcast, making a video, telling a friend, uh, making sure you subscribe anywhere you can get it, checking out our YouTube. Jamie's put a lot of work into that, so go check that out. Any of these ways will definitely help the podcast grow. Um, And send us an email. Give us feedback. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. It's about building a community. That's a two-way thing. I know we do a lot of talking at you. That's kind of how the podcast thing works. But we also uh, encourage people to tell us what they want to hear, what they like about it. We've gotten a few emails back shout out to everybody that's been sending us emails telling us how they enjoy the show what they like about the show we get those we appreciate uh you guys taking the time to send us the letters it's really awesome so without further ado take care a little business and then we'll get right to it this podcast is for informational purposes only it is not nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional arboriculture advice and should never be relied upon to perform or direct arboricultural work the tree thinking podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy completeness or suitability of any information on this podcast will not be liable for any damages arising from the use of any information in the practice of arboriculture or tree work the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent the podcast and its hosts are not to be held responsible for misuse cited and or uns cited copies of the content within this podcast by others. The Tree Thinking Podcast may not be reproduced or distributed without the express written consent of the Tree Thinking Podcast. Educating each other is a big part of our mission statement. We learn and mentor because sharing what we learned will make our profession grow and reward the ones that put in the work. On this episode of the Tree Thinking Podcast, we catch up with Patrick Masterson, He has helped educate through an impressive brand he built, sharing tips, tricks, and information. I'm sure you've listened to his podcast or seen his online presence. We are stoked to catch up with The Educated Climber. All right, we're back again. Uh, This week is a conversation I'm really looking forward to. Uh, we've been going back and forth with Patrick for quite a while. Connecting sometimes can be a challenge from up north in Canada all the way to here, so I'm glad it's happened. Um, but before we get too far into it, I'm Andrew. I'm Jamie. Becca. <coughs> I'm Nate. And we have with us... 
I'm uh, Patrick Masterson. All right. Right on. Welcome to the show, Patrick. <laughs> Thank you. It's... I just want to start off by saying I, I don't go around referring to myself as the educated climber. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that seems like a really pretentious douchebaggy thing to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just a brand. It's, a, yeah. it's about, you know, it's about educating the younger generation. That's all it is. So. Sure. Yeah. No, I never thought that you, that was the guy that you were, but uh, I've always liked the idea of the educated climber because as you're saying, it's about educating the next generation and just the idea of, you know, we're constantly learning. Well, we should be constantly learning. You know, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. The industry's changing. And so you have to constantly be learning to kind of keep up with the latest and greatest of uh, what the industry has to offer. And that's a great way to build a brand. Ever since I first saw the, I can't remember if it was on YouTube or Instagram, that's exactly what stood out to me is like, oh, nice. Somebody that's trying to inject some education into an industry, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, well, it's probably all throughout our industry. People either get into it because they fail into it or they strive to be into it. You know, there's the guys that uh, get into it just because they needed a job haul and brush. And so that's what they do. And I like the people that strive to be into it because they're the ones educating themselves and others and open to learning and, you know. That's where it's at. For sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, you know, there's most, most guys that I've worked with, uh, they don't put any effort into showing, showing other people what they're doing either because they don't fully understand it enough. You know, like they say, if you can't explain it to a six year old, you don't really understand it yourself, that idea, or they're just, they're just wrapped up in what they're doing and they don't, they don't ever, they would never think to take the time to like teach someone, show them, you know, not just the the how, but the why yeah. behind what they're doing. Right. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do. It's a, it's an overwhelming and impossible task. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, so it, all you can, all you can do is really work around the edges of a lot of topics. It's hard to, everything is so uh, nuanced you know, and situational, the, the second that you start trying to say like, this is how you do this. Everyone's up in arms. Like, Oh, no, that's not how you do it. Like, cause there's a hundred ways to do everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's difficult, but it, it's very challenging, but it's a lot of fun. And, uh, I've been, I started educated climber in 2016. So I've been going at it since then. Um, I mean, I was, I was aware, like I didn't even get on Instagram until 2016, December, I think it was, and YouTube at the same time. And I remember thinking at the the time, like I'm really late to the game. (laughs) And now I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm so glad I started when I did. Yeah. Yeah, Early on, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Sort of. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What was like the motivation to, to look at those platforms and start making your, your videos and stuff? Um, well, I had it in my head from the very first year in the trade. Uh, I started my apprenticeship in 2008 at Norm's Tree Service, and uh, I had it in my head right away that I was going to write a book. I don't know why. Like At the time, there was only two books. There was The Fundamentals and Tree Climber's Companion by Jepson, yeah. and, uh, and it just seemed like there was not nearly 
I mean, you could go into another trade, you can go into electrician and there's a thousand books. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. How is there only two books for tree work? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's really where it started. I, I wanted to write a book. And then at some point I realized like I, I could lock myself in a room and squirrel away at a book for two years and come out with a book and no one knew who I was or anything. So it, I felt like I wouldn't sell the book anyways. Well, what's the point? So I figured, why don't I just go online and sort of put information out in a drip by drip basis, you know what I mean? And then sort of, sort of build a reputation just to prove to people that I wasn't a, a complete idiot, you know, <laughs> at, with, with the eventual goal of writing a book. And that's, that's where it is still, you know, that's, is still my plan. Nice. Do you, um, have you started at all? Do you have a little stuff you've written down or? Uh, yeah. In, well, in, in 20, 2013 is when I started uh, just, just mapping like outlines of all point form stuff. I, I think I, I, I wrote like 35 pages of point form, which, you know, and I just, I just kind of, I don't know. I work away at it little by little, but uh, a big thing for me is illustration uh like i i love jeff jepson's books i don't know if you heard him on my podcast yeah uh, i had him on and i what's that they're classics oh i i love his style i love the illustrations and yeah. the way the books are put together and uh that was always I, I would love to to put together something like that with line drawings and illustrations like that rather than photographs you can do so much more with with drawings so that's a big hurdle for me. I still don't have a way to get that into, into play. So, but, uh, that's the, that's the goal. But along the way I, I realized, uh, like a book can only go so far, you know, not realistically, not many people read books these days. Uh, people are more into uh, video. So I'll, yeah, I realized I wasn't going to be able to, to make nearly as much progress as I would like to without a strong, uh, YouTube presence. So I, I put a lot of effort into that and uh, I started a podcast just for fun. Um, and then, you know, social media in general, uh, just again, just to not to make a name for myself per se, but just to show people that I wasn't, uh, wasn't a blowhard and, and just, you know, it wasn't a snake oil salesman, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. It's easy. To, it's easy to make. Uh, it's easy to go online and like make people think that you're something that you're not. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, and so a there's lot a lot of, of there's a lot of mistrust, right? Yeah, mm. it, it's probably the biggest problem with social media is you know that it gives people a conduit to be fake. You yeah. know, there's so much good information on there, and if you know where to go and you know how to get it, it's yeah. so valuable. But it also you know gives people the ability just to make you think whatever they you know it's. <laughs> it's a crazy world out there and there's always someone to sell you something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, how, when it comes to making those videos, how do you find the time to do all that editing? I mean, we've just kind of touched on kind of a little bit of content creation and it is amazing how much work goes into the back end of a video or a podcast or but not only that, filming while you're working yeah like i'll have my gopro on site my phone tripods and stuff but i just 
I just start going and totally forget about it. And I was like, dang, you know, I wish I would have set that up. But you totally like even even for me as a self-employed guy, even I don't like like slowing down the job to get something on film. You know what I mean? And uh, one of the the biggest solution for me was uh, was just really focusing on helmet cam from the beginning because helmet cam like it's it's always there mine's mounted on the side of my head it's always there if i'm doing something i just one click boom i'm filming it you know it's the easiest thing for me that's why most of my videos are are helmet cam because no one on the ground crew has any desire to help me with filming anything (laughs) you know what i mean uh so that's that's the only way i can get anything filmed really is helmet cam which which has a lot of issues like I wish it wasn't helmet cam. You know what I mean? Helmet cam is in most situations is one of the least desirable views in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Cause it's, it's unrelatable to most people. It, it's, it's relatable to, to tree guys, tree climbers, you know what I mean? Who are already familiar with being up in a tree and what it looks like from there. But anyone else in the world, they see a helmet cam and they, well, most of them are like, Oh, it's shaky. It's, it's like, it yeah. makes me feel like I'm on a roller coaster or something. Yeah, a little Blair Witch esque. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. and yeah, like the the camera that I use, it doesn't even have um, stab- stabilization. Right. So yeah, uh, it is. There's a lot of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of editing, uh, <laughs> there's no there's no easy way to do it. Yeah. The, the thing that the thing that I've uh, you know like I I really admire Buck and Billy Ray for for yeah. years now. Um, I, if you notice one. I think the way that he does it is, is just very, very minimal editing. And that's why, that's why an average video for him is like 40 minutes long. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, uh, whereas I'm for the longest time, I really strived to make my videos as short as possible because I'm, I'm really trying to, uh, to respect the, the time that my audience has to watch them. It's only in the past, few months that i've been starting to think about the other side of it like if you're if you're into to a tree video like it doesn't matter if it's four minutes or 40 minutes if it's good you're gonna watch it yeah, you know what i mean totally like i i'll watch a i'll get into one of jake rogers videos and i'm i'm just like oh my god i gotta watch this i don't even have time to watch this and i ended up i end up watching it and it's like how the hell did i watch a 50 minute video of tree <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? traver will Traver O'Hearn will post unedited, you know, full removals. Yeah. You know, you yep. can sit there and watch three, four hour video. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it, there's something to that though. I mean, when I listen to your podcast, they're just so, you know, so well edited and put together. And our whole strategy is like, you know, play a quick intro at the beginning and just go like almost no editing at all because I would, I wouldn't, you know, our goal was to try to get one out every week and there's no way you could do that if you put any more than like two or three edits per episode in, you know? <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that was my goal for a long time. I was, I was like, Oh, I'd love to put out a podcast a week. And it was just for me, like for you guys, I, I don't know if you do you have a guest on every show. Is that how you do it, no. or are some shows just are they just conversations? So, yeah, we we break it down so we have some that are like topic driven. You know, we'll yeah. we'll take groundwork and just break it down, or we'll yeah. take a tree of do a tree of the month. We try to get a tree every month and just do it all about Doug fir, or all about white oak, or and then we'll do a guest, and then we'll just do kind of what we call a hangout or a random show where we just get together and just start talking. 
and just whatever comes up comes out you know a little, yeah a little bit of this a little bit of that yeah um have, have you been i haven't i haven't listened to all your podcasts obviously but have you been able to keep up with the show a week we've done a show a week for i to think this, this is 43 now 43 yeah yeah wow yeah. wow that was amazing it, so we started we, i think we had like six or seven pre-recorded so there's definitely yep. been a few weeks it didn't work that we could just kind of plug them in mm. and then yeah. we've had to we've kind of had to do some shorter ones you know which is just like get whatever out we can real quick at least we got something out you know yeah. <laughs> our, yeah. our milestones coming up you know one year of a podcast every week so that that's kind of been the goal <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's crazy that's amazing yeah well you know part of how it came about is, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic and we, we were all missing conferences and competitions in these ways we get together with the Arborist community and just, you know, talk and hang out and it just wasn't there. So we figured what better time we, a lot of us were on the same crew at that time. So we're all kind of part of that same bubble, you know? Mm -hmm. And so let's just, if we're getting together anyways, let's hit record. And so, uh, you know, uh, here we are. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Do you, are, are you, are you guys making any money with the podcast? Like are, do you have sponsorship or anything? We, we haven't monetized it in any way. You know, our, our number one goal is to really was just to kind of spread, build community, you know, kind of learn and teach, you know, kind of share information, try to get a hold of experts, you know? Uh, yeah. And then as they share their information, we're educating ourselves and anybody who's, you know, decides they want to listen. Um, For sure. And so sure. we figured we'd do that. We've, we've had some discussions about, you know, uh, doing it. We've, you know, it's very possible we'll do like a t-shirt or something, you know, it'd be mm -hmm. nice to have just enough income to just kind of cover the bills. I don't think it's by any means, anything anybody's going to get rich on anytime soon, but, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's definitely a passion project more than anything. Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily want to go down this rabbit hole, but th yeah, yeah. for me, for me, like I'm, I juggle, between youtube and podcasting and i make money on youtube right so yeah. obviously i'm incentivized yeah. to focus a lot more on youtube yeah um i don't know if you guys have heard of the the podcast called no agenda no it's uh it's started by the guy who actually invented podcasting adam curry uh -huh. okay and and the way that they they just had their 14 year uh anniversary they do two shows a week for 14 years wow. um <laughs> But they came up, their, their model for monetizing the podcast is called value for value, which is uh, you, just, you just ask people who, you know, if you're getting value from the show, you know, either you can, you can donate, uh, he, he calls it time, talent, or treasure, right? And you can, you can help us by working on content for the show or, uh, or just give us money or um, like if you have certain skills or whatever, it's, it's a really interesting way of supporting a show. So you just like put it, it out there in, into the universe. You know, if, if you like, if you like, if you're getting any value from this uh, and just make it, give them and give people an easy way to donate to the show. Um, I just started doing this a few months ago and I've already had like, I don't know, 10 to 15 people donate something to the show. So oh, awesome. That's a great, not, idea. I love it. Not, yeah. I, that's a whole rabbit hole we could go down to, but I sure. just, I don't know. It just occurred to me that the, the, the value for value model might, might be really good for you guys, especially if you're, if you're keeping up like a show a week, like you're saying like, that's, 
I know, I know how much time that takes and, and time is money and uh, you need to be you need, like, I always say life is all about incentives. Yeah. You need to be incentivized to, to keep doing what you're doing. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I know, like something it. About. It, it, it kind of follows the model that we started with is building community. You know, if yeah. you want, if someone likes the community enough to be part of it and support it, then they can. Absolutely. And if they just want to listen to, Hey, I'm just, just hitting the listen button, just, you know, on some level is supporting the show. So yeah, absolutely. that's like, awesome in and of itself. Yeah. Like, well, you already have, uh, you know, Patreon as a, as a, yeah. as a platform, which is, which is kind of similar, but it's a middleman, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's its own platform and it can do certain things. This is just, this is just straight to the consumer. This is straight to the people who actually listen to you. You know what I mean? So yeah, I like, that. I don't know. My favorite, Something to think about, I guess. my favorite thing about your podcast, Patrick, is a little closer. How, yep. My favorite thing about your podcast, Patrick, is how you, um, you keep it real and you're not going to advertise. Um, so the marketing, uh, making money off of marketing is like such a buzzkill for me to listen to a podcast that has commercials in it. So thank you for that. That's super uh, on a, I, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot stand like, especially mid roll ads, yeah. mid roll ads in, yeah. in a, in, it's in a video or a podcast. It pisses me off. I hate yeah. it. I hate a mid roll ad. So yeah, anything, anything you can do to get away from ads, like, and this is another thing that Adam Curry always talks about ads equals censorship, right? Like yeah. you're either being overtly censored or you're self-censoring because you know that you might say something that the, that the sponsor doesn't like you to say or whatever. You know what I mean? So it, it really is censorship. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to get, if you want to have a real relationship with an audience, you need to be able to say whatever you need to be able to say. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? And it breaks their attention span too. Whenever there's a yeah. personally, you know, I'll be like, wow, I'm watching this video. And then it's like, have you thought about, this yeah shaving cream yeah. or whatever. yeah, like, yeah. No, yeah. I was just exactly learning about rigging wood <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well and it's worse when you when you're you know doing something so you can't access your phone or at least for me when if i'm moving around a tree or you know riding my bike and all of a sudden this ad comes on and i'm stuck i can't get to my phone to change it and yeah. i'm listening mm. to something i don't want <laughs> you know and it's always a little yeah. louder than what you were i know to. <laughs> oh god all of a sudden someone's yelling in your ear <laughs> yeah for sure yeah i'm sure. kind of glad that you are somewhat incentivized to use youtube because personally i'm more like i like the visuals to go along with the audio and yeah. I was just telling them earlier, sometimes if I'm trying to learn something that I'm watching a video about, it's nice to have the option to, to pause and rewind if, you know, didn't quite, definitely. Didn't quite definitely. catch it, Yeah, you know? Especially something educational. Yeah. 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 And I, mean, yeah. I, I learn best in person in the situation, like, you know, someone shows me and then they're like, now you try. And, you know, most people, I think that that works really well for them. But I think in terms of you know, an online, never having met somebody to be able to learn that much. I think the video, you know, having a visual, um, definitely, oh, definitely. Really definitely. powerful. So. Yeah. It, it was a, a certain point in 2018, uh, just after I had passed a thousand subscribers and it, YouTube sent me an email about monetizing. And I was like this close to making a video that, that was called like, why I will never monetize <laughs> YouTube channel. And then I and then I had a big discussion with my friend Will and uh, and I changed my mind and I'm so glad that I did because it it honestly it really does incentivize me to make YouTube videos. Like I 
I've, I've been taking it easy this year. I haven't done nearly as much because I was working on other things like the book and stuff, but, but uh, it really does it, whether it's subconscious or, or whatever it, the fact that I get a little bit of money from it, like, because this, I mean, like you were saying how long it takes to edit stuff like th- this takes time directly away from my family and, yeah. or, or anything else that I can be doing. Like video editing is very intense and you have to sit there and you have to be focused and in the zone. You can't, you can't just, you know, do a little bit here and do a little bit there. It doesn't work that way for me anyway. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of lucky with, cause there's a few of us that we spread it out. So I'll, I'll do a lot of the audio editing for the podcast and Jamie will take care of a lot of the videos so we can kind of spread it out over a few people. I can't imagine how you do it all yourself. (laughs) Well, it definitely shows all the hard work you put into it. Um, The production's awesome. Everything's clean and concise. Um, I personally haven't seen any of the YouTube stuff, but I've been following the pod since, uh, since day one and uh, your website's awesome as well a great resource oh, i you. always that's like the first thing you and climbing arborist.com for somebody new in the game like mm-hmm. check this out as your baseline and it, yeah. it just it, it keeps them busy for years oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah dan uh dan started his long before i did and uh, so it was good to talk to him on the podcast as well and we had a really good conversation but uh yeah thank you i appreciate that um it, it's a ton of work yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you can only, the way I think about it is you can only work really hard at something for so long for free before you start to question it. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, like 43 episodes weekly is bonkers. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, but at some point, if it was me, I'd be thinking, yeah, I'm still not, you know, if you're still not seeing something like, yeah. Like community is amazing, and that's yeah. that's where that's why I'm saying value for value. Totally. So, yeah, we we have a link link on each episode where you can donate yeah. to buy us a beer. Yeah, <laughs> that's, all, yeah. Okay. that's our okay. value for value. Yeah, that was our value for value. <laughs> you want to buy the crew some beer? Here's a link. You know, it, yeah, it, oh, yeah. You know, it it's one of those things. That being said, I got about a thousand questions about uh, editing and YouTube and stuff, but I don't know if that's what everybody wants to hear. That's more just my own curiosity. <laughs> so uh, while we're talking about, you know, sending somewhere, someone somewhere to go for, you know, when they're first getting in the game, uh, I know you've worked on apprentice programs before. Uh, kind of what I've seen through the social medias is uh, with uh, Apprentice James. Do you, yep. do you you have any thoughts on apprenticeships you want to share? Uh, are, do you have an apprentice right now? Uh, I don't have a formal apprentice right now. I have two uh, younger guys. One is an actual climber. He's been climbing for two years now. And then one guy who just started with me a few weeks ago. Uh, neither one of them is, is technically signed up for the apprenticeship program. It's through the government here. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm really lucky that I live in a, in a place that recognizes formally arbor culture, arborist as a trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so we have like, like where I live to be a certified arborist, to call yourself that you can either go down the ISA route, which is available everywhere, or you can do the provincial, uh, certification, which is infinitely harder to get. It's, it's just, it's really ironic that, that a lot of people think that the ISA here is worth more than the Ontario. It's not even close. Like wow. to get the, to get the Ontario, you have to do 
uh, two terms of school, which is 12 weeks each. And then you have to do a combined uh, 5,600 hours on the job training. And then after all of that, you have Holy to get a, a big signature book from your employer and the, the, everything filled out. Each individual skill filled out and signed and dated. Uh, and then after you get all that, you have to write a final exam and then you, you're considered a, a certified arborist by the province of Ontario. Wow. You have to, what was the last part about the final exam? Oh, once you have all your, all, all the requirements, uh, then you apply to write the exam and then you go and write this exam. Uh, you know how, it's you know, written? with the ISA, like the ISA sells you the book that you have to study, yeah. you know, it's like a hundred dollar yeah. book and they're selling it to you to, to, to take their test. You know what I mean, the Ontario test, there's no book. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just like, you have to hope, hope that you took notes when you're in school and hope that you know what you're talking about. And yeah, yeah. so it's. It's way harder to get. Plus, you have to actually climb in those in those two terms of school. Oh, you have to climb and, and do actual tree work. You can't be, uh, you know, a behind the desk arborist like half the people who have ISA. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, what do you mean when you say write the exam? That that might be. Oh, they have this. They have this big multiple choice exam. Okay, so it is uh, multiple choice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, I think we. In America, we say take the exam. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's funny. It's like a yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah, like, like a five paragraph essay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you make the big like I. And and how how does that benefit someone to take that route versus the ISA certified arborist? Uh, cert, ISA certified ar arborist. Obviously, they're getting a lot more education going that route. But is it like private companies are going to look to you know, bring you on for higher pay for that reason? Or is it uh, government well, jobs or what? Well, my, myself, as someone who's gone through it, I would certainly be more inclined to hire someone who has gone through that yeah, as yeah. opposed to any, any rant. Because anyone can get the ISA. Like the ISA sure. doesn't impress me at all. It really doesn't. Mm -hmm. I noticed uh, on your, your signature, you're formally... ISA certified. Formally, yeah. <laughs> well, really I let mine lapse this year in, in April. I let it lapse because like I got it in, what, what year was it? Uh, 2011 is when I got my ISA, which is the first year that I started my business. Uh, and I remember, well, see in the States there are, I know from talking to people, there are so many events. It's so common or was you could just go to all these events and get all these free CEUs. Yeah. So when your three years comes up, you have all this crap load of CEUs. Mm -hmm. And for me, I didn't have any because I don't go to things. I don't travel. Yeah. And uh, the only way for me to get CEUs was to do these stupid, uh, you to, online buy, again, the again, buy books from the ISA. And then you have to fill out the, the thing at the end of each article and send them all away. And it took me forever the first time to recertify at the end of my three years. And I remember thinking then, like, man, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this in three years. There's no way. Yeah. And then, and then it came up again, and I did it again for whatever reason. But this time it came up, and then it got extended because of COVID. And then, and I just said, screw it, I'm not, yeah. I'm not gonna do this. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't support. I can't continue supporting this organization that I, I have so many problems with, and I'm not gonna give them my money anymore. Yeah. And honestly, it. I haven't. Not, I haven't noticed a single negative effect. For me and my business keep granted granted that i live in a place as i say that has this parallel certification yeah. you know what i mean so i'm still a certified arborist without the isa right so uh -huh. yeah i i have mixed feelings about the isa i 
really appreciate what they've done for the industry because there's been a real uh, effect. I've I've watched them in our area uh, kind of hold people accountable through get you know through promoting the certified arborist. When I first started, and I I'm very lucky. The company that I first started for was a family company, and uh, I started in '98. And at that time, I wasn't certified at that time. But when I first started. Our company had, I think, three certified arborists, and there was five in all of Lane County. So mm. I, I watched uh, my family's company kind of leverage, hey, we're the certified arborists in a way that could help grow their business over time and really establish a level of industry standard. But I've also watched that test get easier and easier and more and more people <laughs> take it over the years. Checks yeah. Get. Yeah. And, yeah. and we'll get certified. Yeah. You see it become this money making thing. And I mean, that's how the it, world works. If you provide a service, you got to make money. That's just <laughs> how these things work. But at a certain point, it just gets so frustrating because it becomes about the money instead of about bettering the industry. And that's, that's all frustrating. Yeah. It's all, all we got. It's all we got. So and from logger Joe coming in and yeah. Totally. I mean, I, I fully agree. And that's why it's a love hate, but, and I love going to the conferences and the competitions. I mean, these, this is like, I've learned more about arboriculture through them, but I also see how it's like, there's gotta be a better way. What, you what know? Do we do, Patrick? It's the paywall. It does kind of start to feel like a racket at a certain point. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I, I wrote an article. I mean, I don't think I even published it. I wrote it like the first year that I started Educated Climber called the ISA is a racket. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I like oh, it, it's a very uh, it's a very polarizing, divisive it. issue, because, as you say, like it is the only game in town. Yeah, they only invent they only invented the certification in 1992. I don't know who came up with it, but it was a genius move. It's a, yeah. it's a cash cow for them. Oh, like, yeah. Once you get once you get initially certified like you're sending the money for the rest of your career you know what i mean yeah um the real for me personally the real problem that i have with it as i see it in my brain is that it, it created this parallel uh stream of of arborists like there's people who actually work with trees you know actually cut trees and climb and trim but then there's also this other one this is like the academic, like they work for cities, they have desk jobs. There's, there's thousands of these people who are certified arborists. And on paper, especially if they've taken other things, like uh, other things that the ISA offers, they're on paper, they're way more qualified than I am. I actually work with trees and they don't, you know what I mean? Oh, that yeah. in my, in my brain, that's the big issue that I have with it. Aside from the money issues. Oh. I, I really, I really don't like that it created two classes of people who both call themselves arborists and in my mind they're not they're i don't know what what they are but i don't see them as arborists that's just me that's that's my own it's really interesting i work for the city of eugene so i see that you know there's a lot of people that work in parks and they do they're never pruning trees but they knew by getting this extra certification it would make them look good and they you know they were able to convince everybody their park work was equivalent to you know and exactly uh, and so I, like I like I say, like they started it in '92 is when they came up with it. So when you're saying '98, like it was really new at that time. Yeah. Right. But it it has been inflated and devalued massively since then, yeah. as far as I see it. Because again, any anyone can get it, and they sell you the book to 
to study from and they've and as you say they've made it easier and easier to pass it like even when i started that was back when the, the the test was divided into sections and you had to get a minimum grade in each section individually yeah right mm. and then and then in a few years because I, I remember my my boss norm he went and wrote it and he failed it and i remember him complaining about this and it, i think a year later they just they just combined it all into one big thing instead of yeah if you get a certain score then you pass mm-hmm. well that instantly makes the whole thing way easier because you can get you can get 80 percent in one thing and 20 percent in another as long as you average it out you get your score you know what i mean yeah. oh yeah i i failed it a couple times because what i did every day i was really good at and i was a young kid that didn't take studying serious but then there would be like all this soil ph stuff that i did not study enough and so I just, there was a few of the things that I just didn't do because I wasn't doing it in the field. And, you know, I really had to work to get it. But I also didn't get it for a long time because of what you're saying. I saw people that would come and work with us just during the summer and like good guys and they did their best, but they did not know how trees nearly as much as I did. And they just worked a couple months a year, but he was a teacher at a school, so he knew how to take a test more than my dyslexic ass did. And so he just crushed that thing. And I'm, I was like, the fact that exactly. you got this exactly. on your first try and I couldn't like, yes, I should have studied this stuff more, but it was well, crazy to me, yeah. you know? Yeah. There's, there's tons of ISA certified people who don't know anything about tree work. Yeah. And there's ton, tons of people with no certification who are badass. That's true. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and I like some of the TCI certifications. I ha- I've, I've I do d- too, actually. I've done the aerial rescue and the EHAP, mm-hmm. and I can't remember. Did we do any other ones while we were? Uh, I'm not sure, but all the tests I've seen from them would be great for like if you're in the States anyway, if you're hiring someone new and you're like, these are kind of the steps you're going to go through. Yeah. You know, they have like a chipper, mm-hmm. a chipper uh, test that you take, you know, you know how to operate a chipper. They have a ground operations test, you know? So yeah. that, that's where I see those would be super beneficial. Well, and, and like, how important is that? You're oh, asking yeah. new people to work on this machine that will literally eat you up and spit you out if you don't <laughs> do it right. And, you know, you got to get, and we're just coming across the chipper test. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's probably a part of the reason why it starts with chainsaw maintenance and the apprenticeship program. Yeah. Totally. Is, you know, it's yeah. Kind of important. <laughs> yeah. Very important. Yeah. yeah. So, Definitely. so how do you go about selecting an apprentice? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, our need is urgent and our standards are low. <laughs> and, uh, and if you, if you show up for work, you're hired. Sure. Sounds like I'm your man. Uh, <laughs> I think that's how I got no, my apprenticeship. I, I mean, that's, that's, that's like how I would hire a ground guy. Uh, yeah. In terms of it, there's a certain mentality that goes with, with trusting someone to go up in the air and try to do production work, whether it's in a bucket or climbing or lift or whatever. Uh, for me, I'm looking, I, I like, I would never, I would never sign up someone who seemed like they knew what they were, seemed like they thought that they already knew what they were doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like my first apprentice, James, he was really grounded, really down to earth. Uh, if I, if I would show him something, he wouldn't talk back. He wouldn't try to, you know, like part of that was cause he was so green. Right. 
uh, he, he had no prior training or experience, uh, but it was just his attitude. And uh, it's easy to recognize for me when someone has the ability to ask good questions. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, totally. It's so, it's so hard yeah. because you say it's because he's green, but there's so many people that are green but are just willing to tell you how to do your job. You know, when they've been on the job for six months, you're like, I understand that you think it's the right way, but you know, like maybe I'm a few steps ahead here and that's why I'm doing this, this, you know, what it it always surprises me uh, to find that person. Like you say, that asks good questions is so rare. It seems. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's so difficult to, to find people. Uh, So when you, when you find someone, you gotta, you gotta treat them really well. And, uh, one thing that I like about the apprenticeship program is it kind of locks you, not really, but it feels like it's locking you into like a multi-year ordeal. You know what I mean? And it it is transferable. So, so they could tell me to piss off and go work for someone else and they could transfer their status as, as, as a, an apprentice. But, you know, it comes with this expectation that like at least two years, you're, 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 you know, if I sign you up, for, for this thing, you're, you're probably going to work for me for at least two years, which is to me is beneficial on both sides. Uh, I don't see much value in, in someone trying to learn something as deep as tree work, uh, with an absolute minimum uh, commitment of two years. I mean, it takes a lot longer than that, obviously, but, uh, you know, the initial phase, um, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard of like the two year syndrome, which is after two years, you feel like, you know, everything. Oh yeah. So, You're yeah. most dangerous you know, at that point. <laughs> it's very dangerous. Yeah. It really is. It, it's a very real thing. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen it many times, honestly. Yeah. I've, I've heard that the most dangerous times to do tree work, uh, what I heard is when you hit five years and then when you hit uh, 10 years, because those are the two times that you feel you've done it long enough. So you start thinking, you know, like, Hey, I'm good. I know what I'm doing. And then, and then around five years, people usually get some kind of reminder that, Hey, maybe I don't know everything, you know, you get cocky. And then 10 years is another one. Like I've been doing this for 10 years. No one's watching you at 10 years either. Yeah, exactly. And you start feeling like, Oh, I've been doing it long enough to cut a little corner here or there. And that's another trap, you know, I I remember hearing something similar. It was a little different. It wasn't, it wasn't tree work per se. I think it was referring mainly to just working with chainsaws in general. Uh, it was, it was just similar, like five years. But I think the second one was like much later, like 20 years or something. Cause yeah. that, like, if you go, if you go that long, like your complacency can really skyrocket. You know what I mean? For like, sure. I've worked with guys who one hand everything, you know what I mean? Like every single cut with one hand, even when you don't need to, many of them, you don't need to. And it's just like, if you ask them, they just feel like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for X number of years. And it's like, yeah, but you are playing with fire. I mean, I make fun of it with, you know, an, an entire episode of my podcast, which is weird. And who does that? But it, it really is dangerous. You know I mean? and so you do need to put it in context. It's just, it comes down to complacency. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I absolutely love that episode, though. Uh, One handing is the devil episode. <laughs> And I'll, I'll admit I, I have, and probably one hand when I, uh, more than I should at times. I've seen it. Yeah. It's part of grow, and I'm not making excuses. We're actually, uh, been talking about doing a show on it. 
Uh, but, uh, it's part of when you, like when I first learned how to cut one handing a saw, wasn't even a term where I was at. It's just, they would teach you, this is how you, uh, you know, operate a chainsaw. It's quicker if you do it this way. Um, but I really liked the episode that you, that you made, you know, there was points that, you know, like when you listen to a podcast, I wanted to add my two cents in and, you know, I didn't agree with everything you said, but the, (laughs) the undertone of the whole episode, I really liked because it seemed to me that the point you were trying to get across and please correct me if I'm wrong was that, Hey, some people do it like this. Other people do it like this. But if you shut down the conversation just by saying, never do this, then, then there's not even a conversation to be had. There's no place for growth. There's no way to educate somebody. And that is such a powerful message on a subject like one handing a saw, you know. Oh, oh you, you guys cut out on me there, but uh, oh. yeah, I, the point of the point of the episode in my head was just to put it more into context. Uh, it, like I've seen over the years, I've seen you know it's called like monomaniacal thinking, where you 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 just have blinders on and you just focus all everything on one thing. And it seemed like one handing got put, you yeah. know, in the pedestal of like, this is what we should all be talking about. And this is what we should all be concerned about. Sure. And all I was trying to make the point was like swinging around on an unrated anchor point on a little nylon rope in a tree that could fail at any time with a running chainsaw <laughs> is not a safe thing to do. You know what I mean? I'm not so sure that one handing is the thing that we should all be so focused on. There are so many other things going on. That's, you know, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. One of your last episodes on um, safety third. (laughs) There's only 15 minutes long or something, but it really drove home the point about having safety as people say, and the safety police that are out there that are like absolutely never one hand a chainsaw um, mm-hmm. at, at that point, you're like, well, we're already taking these huge risks being in trees and working yeah. in them and trying to mitigate these hazards while we're doing it. Yeah. That you might as well, if you go to sleep at night, maybe you should sleep in the basement. Maybe you should wear a helmet while you're sleeping. I always wear a helmet <laughs> like you're, while you're sleeping. Like you're in your house, exactly. You're exactly. It was hilarious. I loved or, it. And it, it was also very poignant. I loved it. Yeah. It's, it's something I struggle with. I, <laughs> at the city, I, I work for a municipality and I'm on the safety committee for the public works at the city. I don't know why they put me there. Maybe it's because they felt I could (laughs) use to a little bit of that safety in my life. There's a reason. But it's, it it is so (laughs) maddening at times because you're talking, you know, and Hey, we're all just doing our best with the information we have. They don't understand what it's like to be an arborist, but, uh, when you're talking to someone that works behind a desk all day long and they're trying to tell you how to do your job, it, it gets so maddening. And I understand that you got to, you know, there's got to be lines, especially in a big organization, they've got to run it a certain way, but it is such a, you know, it, to go back to one handing, I've had people get on my case about how I'm one handing when I'm in a bucket and all the cuttings going on below the edge of the bucket. And I, fully understand the physics of how the chain creates kickback and these things. And I'm in a safe situation and yeah. this person's getting on my case and they were almost, re- you know, they're almost never have their safety glasses on. And I can't <laughs> exactly. tell you how many exactly. times safety glasses have saved my vision 
you exactly. know, and, yep. and that's a perfect just, example. Yeah. It's just not the, the hot topic that one handing the saw is. And whenever someone gets on my case about one handing the saw, I always tell them, thank you because it's coming out of a place of they're caring about me. You know, if they're, it is, it, you know, I'm almost never getting it from somebody that's on an ego trip or something like that. Those that does exist, I'm sure. But you know, it's someone yeah. like, Hey, I don't want to see you get hurt, you know? And it's always been like someone talking to me not calling me out in front of the whole crew, but afterwards, you know, just be like, Hey, that seemed a little, you know, so I, sure. I appreciate when someone comes and talks to me out of respect and out of care for my well being. but for sure. There's also for me, the issue of, of like the, the biggest reason that I could never work for someone else or a bigger organization, like why, I, why I consider myself to be employable, unemployable is because I, I can't stand the idea of a desk jockey making rules for me in a tree, you know, like what gear I can use, what knots I can use. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Go, okay. So we were talking about where I live in, in Ontario there's a there's a list of of climbing hitches published by the province of ontario that i'm those are the only ones that i'm allowed to use right like (laughs) it's it's a running joke among people who do tree work here like yeah whatever about your list of climbing hitches but it's just it's just stuff made up it's like the the rule that came out uh two years ago in 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 the uk oh yeah it, about two ropes like mm-hmm. every single tree every climb every situation oh. doesn't matter two ropes like that's that's insane it to me dangerous. like i, I use does. i use two ropes a lot yeah. but i, I use it sense. i use it when it makes sense yeah, you know yeah. I, mean? yeah. I use it when it helps me i'm me not going to use it because it's a rule that's crazy exactly to me. and also in certain situations it gets in the way and makes everything less safe i think because it just like yeah. fighting these ropes and you totally unnecessary like i'm 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 young enough that i can remember right when i started climbing and if if you had told me at that time that i had to learn how to climb with two ropes going from zero climbing experience straight to two ropes i'd be like you're insane how how (laughs) am i going to learn that as a beginner yeah like i can't even wrap my head around what it would take to to start with that as, as your starting point, you know what I mean? Two ropes at all times. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, double crotching is an advanced technique. I mean, what do you do? <laughs> just flopping every, oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. Nate was just doing it today. He was, yeah. Two tie-ins on a sketchy yeah. leaner. <laughs> well, Jamie set something up as like a safety line, and I was like, hey, can you actually pass that over here? That looks a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. Again, I use two ropes all the time, Yeah. but I don't do it because it's a, a rule or right. a government mandate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do it because it makes sense. Yeah. Right. If yep. it doesn't make sense, I don't, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Well, and once you know, it, going back to the safety third episode, once you're doing it, be, just because someone's telling you, not because you've figured out how it makes sense, you're kind of, it defeats the whole point of that safety committee because you're not actually sharing safety. You're just sharing rules. Like the safety comes from the understanding it, in my mind, you know, it, yes, the, yes. It's the why and not the how, right. Uh, it's mm-hmm. what, like, why is this a rule? Yeah. That that's funny. Cause I had to do a presentation for the uh, safety committee. Uh, and so I chose, uh, I chose safety glasses cause I'm a big fan of safety glasses myself. 
And I made the whole presentation about the how, the hows, the whats, and the whys. And I started the whole thing off of too often people just hand safety glasses over and say, the rule is you got to wear them, so here they are. And that's those are the people that don't wear them. The people that wear them are the ones that have had some kind of experience or understand what happens if something hits your eyeball and destroys that eyeball. <laughs> you know, if you've had oh, yeah. a close call with safety glasses, then you will wear safety glasses. <laughs> You're probably the most diverse member on that safety team, Andrew. That's yeah. Why they, keep you, that's why they keep you on the safety. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something else. <laughs> everyone else is like, watch out for those staplers, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, and that's why I said earlier, everybody on there, you know, has a different definition of safety. Yeah. Because they have a different worldview. You know, it's so, and it's one of those things that in general in life right now, people are having trouble kind of looking at someone else's perspective and understanding someone else's view a lot. If if I'm somebody that has just sat at a desk and all I've seen about tree work is what I've gotten in the media, then I, Mm -hmm. I don't really understand. But if I've been tasked with the job of making it safe, I'm going to do my best and I'm probably going to really miss. And I'm going to be trying to shove some rules that don't make sense down someone's throat. And so that's why I do my best to embrace it, even if it drives me crazy sometimes, because this is my opportunity to help share my perspective and hopefully in a little way, make it a little bit easier for the guys out in the field, you know? Definitely. Um, My first year climbing, I was learning from the boss's son, Norm's son, his name is Nate as well. And uh, he's phenomenal, by far the best climber I've ever seen to this day. Uh, but that first year he didn't wear safety glasses ever. And because he didn't, Any face I just watched him. No, I just watched him. And I was like, Oh, okay. Oh, well, I'm yeah. not going to do that either then. Yeah. So I worked my entire first year without using safety Did glasses. And I remember like, I'm one of those people who like, if I get something in my eye, like everything stops. I have yeah. to, I can't yeah. do anything. If something's in my eye, I have to stop and get that out of my eye. And that it happened countless times. Like, like, pole sawing over your head and yeah. everything is just retarded but again like i knew it was a rule obviously everyone yeah. else had safety glasses but nate didn't wear them yeah and i just i don't know i thinking back on it that's so stupid but that's what i did yeah yeah but- it's interesting too is that when when you it's like you're the first person that you're learning something from it really sticks with you until it you do, learn it from does, someone be, now. Because, yeah, yeah. W- yeah, when you when you don't know anything and you see someone who appears to you as if they know what they're doing, you think, oh, well, that's how you do this. Exactly. You know what I mean? And then, and yeah, like I learned everything watching Norman Nate. And I thought, oh, I know how to do trailer because yeah. I learned from Norman Nate. And then years later... I realize like what I actually learned is just what Norman Nate knew about tree work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why like, it's so important that you move around and you do work with other people because mm-hmm. you don't want to get stuck just knowing what the person before you knew. Cause that's all you're going to learn from them. Yeah. Unless yeah. they're, unless they're really progressive and they're really trying to, to move forward in their knowledge. You know what I mean? Most, most people aren't in my opinion that I, that I've worked with anyway, most people as as uh, as August likes to say, like most people, if they if they tell you that they've been doing tree work for twenty years, it's really just one year repeated twenty times. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's wow. really cool. Far out. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It. It's. I could not agree with that more. I was having a conversation, uh, and 
my first, you know, like I said, I worked for a family business and I worked there for 18 years before I, uh, headed over to the city and I didn't realize it at the time, but I was, we were kind of in our own sounding chamber, you know, because it, and luckily it was a really progressive company that was sending us to ISA trainings and, you know, supporting certifications and all these type of things. So it was a good sounding chamber to be in, but still it's so easy for you to think that like, Hey, this is how it's done. This is what we know. We're so awesome. And then moving to the city, I started seeing the exact same kind of thing at the city where everybody felt like, Hey, we're the, we're the best, the best and we're the elite. And it was like, Oh, I see what's going on here. We all, we all just got egos. You know, it's part of being a tree guy. You, there's no way for, if you're, if, you know, half the time you come out of the tree, the client comes down and is like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Y- yeah. You know, that will get into your head. And it's so important to squash that ego down. And My, my and buddy, my buddy Will work. has always said tree work is full of egos and assholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. But I think that's where, you know, stuff like your educated arborist brand you know, or what uh, Haneke or what all these guys are doing online and sharing their knowledge. It gives a way that people, you know, never had before to kind of get out of that sounding chamber just with a few clicks and start listening to somebody else and, under, you know, understand. Yeah. Yep. For example, one of my one of my favorite tricks that I learned from you was the daisy chain when tying off chunks of wood. Oh, that's a oh nice. That daisy yeah. chain knot, dude, I loved it. I always yeah. just did oh, the yeah. run and bowl in, you know, with the Yosemite tie off and just, yeah. you know, do that every time. And then I saw that daisy chain and I've, I've loved it ever since. And, you know, I mean, heck, you can do whatever you want with the run and bowling and the, <laughs> but just by, you know, watching this video of, you know, some guy in Canada that was showing a different way to do it, it expanded yeah. my mind and it, 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 you know, gave me another option. You know, that I've used in other applications now because it's getting that information is getting out of that sounding bubble. Absolutely. Like, uh, like a lot of people, a lot of people make fun of, of social media and it's warranted in a lot of, in most situations probably. But I know for, for myself personally, like on Instagram, for instance, over the years, just watching little clips from professionals all over the world, I have learned so much from just following people on Instagram. Yeah, uh, I, I can't even tell you how many little things that I've learned. Like, uh, like I did a crane job last year. It was my first crane job in I think four or five years. And uh, every single one of those cuts that I used in that crane job was just from watching guys on little clips on Instagram and YouTube. Sure. Nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, and that's probably, I would, I don't recommend that. Like you should obviously get actual training, <laughs> yeah. but uh I mean, I just, before that, all I had ever seen was like flat cut or I would actually use years ago, I would use a lot of snap cuts. Like I would do a snap cut and then I would get out of there and then I would let them, you know, lift it up or whatever. But seeing like shelf cuts and different things, I had never seen any of that. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah. like you can make fun of social media for a lot of reasons, but I personally, I learn a ton on there. I love, I love seeing what other people post, whether it, half the time it's not even posted for the, for the purpose of being educational. I don't think it's just, they're just sharing something Yeah. or, or like they'll, they'll, someone will share a post, which is about something, but I'll see something else in the post yeah. and I'll, and that's what I'll learn. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's unintentional a lot of times. And I love that. It's, it's a lot of serendipitous learnings going on there. I, I love that about it. Yeah. Oh, that, that's great. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes 
is a Bruce Lee quote, and he said, "Use what works, discard what doesn't, and add what is uniquely your own." And that yeah, I love that, that just sums yeah. it up for me. Like with the, those little social media, you can just you can use so much and discard what whatever doesn't work. Add you know, alter it in however it works for you. But uh, we've never been at a time where you can do that more. Um, Absolutely. I want to be respectful of your time. I just noticed we've uh, we've been on for about an hour and sixteen minutes, uh, and I know that you live in a whole different time zone than here. So uh, <laughs> I do, I do. I'm on the East Coast here. I'm I'm on the New York uh, time zone, so we're three hours ahead of you guys. Oh man! So yeah. it's almost ten o'clock at night. Oh, what a crazy Friday night you're having! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what, what's with the storm that's going on right now? I don't know. I think it's. It's been raining for over 24 hours here. Oh, wow. Uh, cool. it's, it sounds to me, I have the window open. It sounds to me like it's tapering off. So hopefully. I, I had one more thing I wanted to ask you about yep. if, if you got time. It's yep, that sure. you just recently must have worked very hard to get uh, Jerry Baranek's book back in print and out. So oh, I kind of want to yeah. ask you about that, promote it a little bit, and like what went into that. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so... His book, The Fundamentals, so when I started, again, uh, I started my apprenticeship in 2008 in Norms, and uh, like I bought, I bought the only two books that you could, like I say, and The Fundamentals was one of the two. Um, and uh, I remember like when they started to, at school there, and during the 12-week course, uh, they, they would have a, 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 a member of the, the Cheryl Tree team or whatever, he would come by and give everyone a, a catalog and they would take orders because all of us, we all wanted gear, right? We're all gear hungry. And I didn't know really what to order uh, from them. I ordered a rope and I ordered the fundamentals. And I remember when the order came in, because we all it, it came to the, to the school, right? So we all opened everything together. And I remember everyone seeing me opening a book and they're all like, who orders a book? <laughs> they were all, they were getting everything else. Right? And, yeah. and I was Nerd. like, this guy, I want this book. This is what I want. I'm here for the knowledge. You know what I mean? And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a huge, like looking back after going, cause I went at least 10 years without rereading it, like in full, really pouring back through it and looking back through it, uh, I realized just how many little things I picked up, how many concepts and, and just mindsets and worldviews that I picked up from this book. Um, and it, his book went out of print in 2016. And, uh, and I was just, I was like devastated. I was, I was looking for a copy for someone else. And that's how I found out that it was out of print. That's the only reason. Uh, and I couldn't believe it because it's a classic. And uh, so I contacted him through uh through a forum called the treehouse uh, master blaster and uh that's the only social media that as far as i know that, that jerry does he's still on there um so i contacted him and uh he had been shopping the idea like maybe someone could could buy the rights for the book directly and and go through all the work to update it because parts of it are are outdated they, sure. they are uh but uh and I said, squash that, like the original, regardless of an update, the original should always exist. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Whether it's 50 years in the future, you should go back. You should be able to go back and get a copy of this original book. You know what I mean? Uh, and so I, I 
tried a bunch of things. Uh, this is in 2017. I tried a bunch of options for, for doing a physical reprint and I couldn't, I just could, it was too big of a, of a thing um, for me to undertake. I knew it wasn't going to happen. Uh, so I compromised with Jerry and we put it out as an ebook, as a PDF download on the website uh, for 20 bucks. So that, that sold really well. And I was very glad to be able to get that back into the hands of people who wanted it. Uh, and so I just kind of put it on the back burner, this idea of what I really wanted was to bring it back in paperback. Right. And then, um, in, uh, oops, sorry. Um, and then last year I was talking to a friend who is a pastor and he showed me, uh, he has this side business of, uh, publishing old books that are out of print. And I was immediately, I was like, tell me everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he, he gave me a basic rundown and I started researching it and I was like, wow, this could totally work. And I'm immediately, immediately I thought like, oh uh, yeah, this will be ready in like two months guaranteed. <laughs> it, took, it took like 18 months to put it together. It was a ton of work. Uh, I had to take the original scan, which we had been selling um, and re redo it because uh, it had to, it couldn't be, it couldn't be a scan. It had to be actual text. Uh, so you, to, to, to turn it, to turn a scan into actual text, it's called OCR optical character recognition. So you have to run it through software. Um, it makes a lot of errors. Mm. Uh, and my immediate thought was like, Oh, this, this is, this is the worst. Like I have to go through a 540 page book looking for errors, yeah. but it turned out, it turned out to be a real blessing in disguise because what I came to realize is that the original was full of errors. <laughs> <laughs> So it was really ironic because I was being really perfectionist about it. But then when I made that realization, I was like, well, I'm just going to do my best. And I know that there's, I know there's going to be errors even in what I put out, but it's going to be way better in terms of errors than the original. Uh, I also made a few edits and updates. I changed a few things. I worked with a bunch of people on Instagram who are following that process. I was sending them chapters they would read through and send it back to me. So I, they found that like, I remember saying to my wife, the first three chapters I went through and I, I was like, okay, I've got everything. And then I sent it to like 15 people and every single one of them sent back stuff that I had missed, <laughs> which was bonkers to me. Wow. And so, uh, so it was a huge undertaking. Uh, I also had to redo all of the image scanning, uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm really happy with the, with the end results. Um, they, because of, because of shipping restrictions or whatever during COVID, I wasn't able to get like proof copies directly to me shipped in Canada. So I would have to, I would have to do whatever I could on PDF. And then once I thought that it was pretty decent, I would have to send it to Jerry in California, like ship, ship it directly to him from the factory. And then he would have to ship it to me. <laughs> so it was, it took forever and uh but uh i'm really happy with the end results and uh it's sold it's almost 2000 copies now awesome just since, just since the end of august yeah. and uh it's a classic i mean it's it is literally the bible of tree work i call it that for a reason it's actually i have a copy here um nice. like this is a thick 
thick book. Like it's, it's intimidatingly big, you know what I mean? And, and again, like I say, like how many, how many tree people actually even read books anymore? But to me, it's an absolute classic. You have to, it's gotta be on your shelf. Uh, I still refer back to it. You know, there, there's so many things I was watching, uh, one of Jake Rogers newest videos, he's had a video about square, square grinding chain and uh, with, with his friend Jed and they were talking about the fundamentals and I, and I grabbed my copy and I was looking back about square grind chain and uh, like, it's just, it's timeless stuff. There, there are elements of it that are outdated in this day and age. There are elements that need to be updated, but the core of the book, especially the, the second half of the book, which is all felling, like that stuff is absolutely timeless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this guy is a genius of teaching and, and filming himself. He, he filmed, he, he got all of these photographs in this book himself on a, on a camera, on a tripod, he would set it up and aim it, you know, like a hundred feet up in the tree where he knew he was going to be. And then he would bring up a remote control with him. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he would be, he would be like with the saw wow. and he'd somehow like click the remote. It was crazy yeah, how he did yeah, this. You know, he put this together. It's, it's just amazing. I, I, I love Jerry. And then I'm, I'm very proud of this book. That's yeah. Cool. And, uh, I highly recommend it. If you're, a, if you're into tree work, like it is the Bible you need, you need the fundamentals. Yeah. You really do. You got to focus on the fundamentals. Well, and I think there's a lot of value in understanding where the industry came from. So even if the techniques aren't exactly what we're using today, through understanding how it was done before will help you understand how it's done today because you'll see the uh, evolution of it. And through, you know, me and Becca were talking about when you're training somebody, a lot of times when you first have a mentor or first have someone you're training, they'll ask you why and you'll all of a sudden realize, well, that's just how I've always done it. You know, yeah. but if you get that understanding of where it came and how it got there, you might actually be able to walk them through, this is why we do it. You know, and that's such a powerful tool when teaching. I, I couldn't agree more. And that comes back to the why or the why versus the how. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but like on the one hand, like a lot of the stuff is outdated. Like he, but on the other hand, he's showing SRT rope walking in the early 90s. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know what That's I mean? Crazy. Which yeah. is way, way ahead of, of it ever being adopted in arbor culture. Like SRT rope walking was a, very much brand new well srt work positioning was very much brand new even when i got into the trade in 2008 mm -hmm. yeah you know what i mean like the rope wrench hadn't even been invented yeah and uh so you know it is it's parts of it are outdated but it, not really i mean you got to know that you got to know your fundamentals you know like yeah. it, shiny shiny new fancy gear is is awesome but if you don't know your fundamentals like what are you doing you know what I mean? That's a good thing too about fundamentals is that they don't really age. They age really well. You know, they <laughs> yeah, don't ever exactly. really go out of style. Exactly. Or they don't really get outdated because that's kind of like the basis of everything that we're doing. Exactly. Here, it's so. it's yeah. it's first principles. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, this is how I see the book. It's it's the first principles nice. level of upon which everything else gets built over time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, he, Jerry Baronic is one of the absolute grandfathers of modern arbor culture as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Cool. Every, every so. now and then I'll climb on a Blake's hitch and I'll just do my best to crush a tree on a Blake's hitch yeah. around someone that's, you know, newer because my goal is to show that, Hey, you can do it in all these different ways. Like you don't have to be trapped in the, this is how we do it box. You can do it. Like we used to do it 20 years ago and still be a hundred percent production mode. 
you know, now, now, you know, there's definitely the other thing that does that happens is I teach myself, Oh yeah, this is why I don't do this anymore. (laughs) It's not something you want to do every day, but it's good for people to have that perspective, you know, of like, there is a lot of ways to skin this cat, you know, that that, uh, tree climbing comp we did up in Seattle for the the chap, the Pacific Northwest chapter. Yeah. um, Like five years ago, was it or something? The dude that won everything did everything on a Blake stitch. Yeah. And he just schooled all of us, like just because, just because he had that, <laughs> that, that foundation. That um, that's awesome. Know, the, one of the the most ironic things is that you you uh, republished this Bible with help from a pastor. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I that's hadn't true. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, that's you're right. Awesome. That is very ironic. I love that. <laughs> All right. Well, a lot of times we'll wrap up these episodes with final thoughts. Jamie, what are your final th- final thoughts? I uh, just want to say thanks for putting out that book, getting that back out. Uh, you know, I've paged through that book, but I got a lot from Jerry Baranek from the Working Climber series when I yep. first started. And then after that, I found your videos, uh, Dan Holliday's, and I'm s- stoked on people who take the time like you took a lot of your personal time to teach other people, you know, and I just thank you, Patrick. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of an echo of Jamie here. I have learned a lot from watching your videos and, um, you know, I'm glad that you have, like I said, that medium it's accessible to people, you know, books, a lot of people anymore have a hard time sitting down and focusing and reading and, and some, some folks don't learn very well that way. So it's great to have somebody that's willing to, again, put in that, that time and effort and have the expertise and, and willingness to teach people um, that you do have. So thank you. And it was well, great, thank you. great talking with you. Yeah, it was great talking with you, uh, Andrew, Jamie, Becca, and Nate, and uh, I had a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm glad that we did this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nate, what are your final thoughts? Oh, I'd like to say thank you as well for uh, keeping it real. Yeah, <laughs> while, while producing quality, um, and we'll do our best down here in the in the states to try to. You know, we don't need the ISA, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, we're going to strive to get some kind of standard going down here, and I think to kind of feed off of what what. Um, you know, your province has established is a great guide. I looked up the apprenticeship. It's like 64, 65 pages long. Like, holy smokes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's broken down, like, massively. It's like one skill is, like, does this person wear their safety glasses? And the boss has to put a signature and a date. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> oh, wow. it's crazy. That's so awesome. it's very detailed. Uh, but it's just a good, it's a good record of, like, what the current training standard is and you can you can look it up i have it on my website anyone can go and from anywhere and get the ontario uh training standard um cool. but I, I i'm i'm very much a, a fan of of uh of apprenticeship and uh and just teaching people you know what we do but more importantly why and uh, and how to do it efficiently and safely so mm-hmm. awesome right on do you have any other uh, final thoughts you want to share with us uh, no, I just wanted to encourage you guys to keep going with the podcast and, uh, you know, congratulations on 43 episodes Sweet. weekly. That's, that's crazy. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so, so much, man. Um, yeah. I think, you know, a lot of my final thoughts are the same as these guys. Just thank you so much for everything you've done. It's really been cool to watch the industry grow 
through the internet and through YouTube videos where people all over the world have access to, you know, proper work techniques and have an ability to uh, kind of change the game and uh, up their own personal game. Um, and so sure. with that, I'll say stay safe and ask good questions. <laughs> right on. Nice talking to you, Patrick. Yep. Later. See ya. See ya.